Coming up next on Abounding Grace. Pay attention to details. You think, well, what's the big deal, Ed, if the chairs are all crooked or if there's trash in the parking lot or if the flowers are all trampled under or if the windows are all dirty or what's the difference? We're just here to preach the gospel. You're right. We're here to preach the gospel. But why make it harder for someone to trust us? Why make it harder for someone to trust us? You know, what if somebody shows up and says, you know, what a mess. This, this church doesn't take care of their parking lot. I don't think I'm going to trust them to take care of my life. This is amazing grace. It was often observed for years that when you would arrive at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, you'd often see Pastor Chuck Smith walking the campus picking up trash. That was such a good example of what we'll be talking about today on Abounding Grace, and that is to pay attention to the details. It really does matter as we set out to serve and bring glory to God. Solomon understood the importance of this as well. Pastor Ed Taylor has an eye on 1 Kings 10, in this, his message, living our lives to, for, and in him. Chapter 10, 1 Kings chapter 10, where it says in verse 1, Now when the queen of Sheba, and you might want to mark this when you get there, when the queen of Sheba heard, when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. Now, if there's one thing that happens to all of us is that people hear things about us. People hear things about us, which reminds us of the importance of our reputations. Reputations are important. Your reputation, my reputation are crucial. While it's true that reputation is what people think of you, it's also true that character is who you really are. Because can, people can hear false things about you. There are attempts to ruin reputations. Some successful, many unsuccessful. And it's important that we live our lives where our reputation matches our character. It's important that we live lives where our character in the Lord matches our reputation. Because you will undoubtedly come under attack. The Bible says and describes the devil as the accuser of the brethren. How does he do that? Through other people. The accuser of the brethren, where the devil is even in the presence of God accusing us day and night. Jesus is so wonderful to know that he's our defender. People, both good and bad, will lie. They'll lie about you to any and all who will and listen to some more and some less. According to Proverbs 22, verse 1, it says, Choose a good reputation over great riches. That's the New Living Translation. Choose a great reputation over great riches. In the New King James, it says a good name is to be chosen. A good name is to be chosen, and a good reputation is to be chosen over great riches. And even as our reputations may be attempted to be trashed by some, 
We must learn to deliberately, determinedly, and dedicatedly live our lives above reproach. Where the lies and accusation and even gossip are proven untrue by your life and by the way we consistently live in Jesus by his grace. And we have a good name because we carry the Lord's name. As Christians, which literally means Christ followers, we carry his name. And thus his reputation has been given to us with the important responsibility for us and a tremendous privilege to live our lives to him, for him, and in him. So here's Solomon. The Queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord. Now I know what she heard. We'll see in a moment all of the things that she heard, but primarily the reputation of King Solomon as a servant of God. His name went out abroad for his great wealth and for his great wisdom. And both of them were attributed to the name of the Lord. Notice verse 2. She came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue, or a large amount of people, camels who bore spices, very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she spoke with him about all that was in her heart. So Solomon answered all her questions There was nothing so difficult for the king that he could not explain it to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen, mark that, seen the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he built, the food on his table, the seating of his servants, the service of his waiters, and their apparel, his cupbearers, his entryway by which he went up to the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. I want you to connect verse 4 with verse 1 real quick where it says in verse 1, she heard, and then verse 4, she saw. She heard about the fame. When she came to test, it was evident, not only to her ears, but also to her eyes. The area of Sheba is modern-day Yemen, or even Ethiopia, was about 1,200 miles away. The trip would have taken two to three months on a camel, on, on horseback. It, this was a long way. This was no short trip to test. I heard something about the God of Solomon. I heard something about Solomon. I heard something about Yahweh, and I need to see it with my own eyes. She didn't send someone to go see her. She wanted to see it for herself. 1,200 miles, two to three months of traveling with a large company of people. She arrives in Jerusalem with her entourage and her expensive gifts, and she starts to talk to Solomon and come to him with her hard questions. Not riddles, not quizzes, but diplomatic, ethical questions. Don't forget that Solomon not only was a representative of God to the people, but he was also a political figure. He was the leader of a country, of a nation. And the relationships that he had, which some of them got him in trouble because he, he adopted the ways of the world in diplomacy by marrying women and creating treaties that God told him not to do. He also demonstrated his wisdom as a man of God. And I want you to notice what she saw. She heard and then she saw. Verse 4, just go through and notice. She saw his wisdom, 
in general. Secondly, she saw how his palace was built, which we just finished reading. Thirdly, she saw in verse 5 the food on his table, the way it was organized. Fifthly, she saw how he organized his officials. Next, she saw how his officials were clothed. Next, she saw her, his cupbearers and their robes. Verse 5, these are all in verse 5. Then she saw the burnt offerings, and it left, it says at the end of verse 5, it left her breathless. It wiped her out, what she saw. This is a section of scripture that I often use when I'm discipling and training those that serve here in the church, especially those that serve uh, in a place of leadership and oversight. If you can grasp this, then you'll understand so many things about how to use your liberties and, and how to use your freedoms in order to bring glory and honor to the Lord. How, how to demonstrate to others. I use this section of Scripture to encourage our ministry team about a lot of things, but the first one is how to pay attention to details. It's important to pay attention to details because what we're doing is in the name of the Lord. I mean, if, if a restaurant will pay attention to details, and a hotel will pay attention to details, and a store will pay attention to details, and a car dealership will pay attention to details, how much more the people of God, where people might hear of the reputation of God, or they might hear about this particular church, they might hear something about how this church was used in their life, or they might hear something on the radio of a Bible study that's there, or they might see something on television and go, you know what, honey, we need to go back to church. We need to get our family in our church. We need to go check that out. Well, it's important for us to realize that, that when somebody hears something, when they show up, they should see it too. And how do they see it? In our lives. How we do things. Pay attention to details. You think, well, what's the big deal, Ed, if the chairs are all crooked or if there's trash in the parking lot or if the flowers are all trampled under or if the windows are all dirty or what's the difference? We're just here to preach the gospel. You're right. We're here to preach the gospel. But why make it harder for someone to trust us? Why make it harder for someone to trust us? You know, what if somebody shows up and says, you know, what a mess. This, this church doesn't take care of their parking lot. I don't think I'm going to trust them to take care of my life. And, and it, it's much harder, is it not, to take care of somebody's life than it is to pick up a piece of trash in the parking lot. I think that's an easy thing. Pick up the piece of, well, you walk by a piece of trash, I can't believe it. Why isn't anybody picking up the trash? And you hear God saying, yeah. Yeah. Why aren't you picking up the trash? Well, you know, they pay people here to pick up the trash. Yeah. Actually, no, we pay you to pay, pick up the trash, you know. Why don't you put a piece of gum? If you don't even want to bend over, put a piece of gum on your shoe and pick it up with your shoe. But think about it, think about it. Let's all get a little laugh because it's not going to get much easier this time. So let's all get a little laugh. We got to pay attention to the details because people hear and then they show up. And in order to deliver the gospel, we want to get away. We want to take away every single barrier that we possibly can think of in order to invite a person to hear and show some kind of credibility to the message that's being shared. So it is important to straighten chairs, and it is important to clean the carpet, and it is important to make sure things are in order, and it is important to take out the trash, and it is important to, to do the things that are easier so that when you're faithful in the little things, 
God will then enable you to take care of a life, to take care of a soul, to learn. I tell, if you're jotting this down, I tell the guys the best skill, and gals, I tell the best skill you can develop that will make you, besides the spiritual stuff, I mean, I'm, I'm already, it's a given, it's a given that you're a spiritual man or woman, that you love God, you're a man of the word, you're a prayer, I, that's a given. So I'm talking practical things here, because that's what the Queen of Sheba is teaching us, the practical things. The number one skill, you want to be effective, do you want to take your ministry ability to the next level? You want to grow in your usefulness to God. If, if you want to just really be used of God, develop this one skill, observation. Open your eyes. So one of the things I do, and we won't do it now, but one of, and you can do it for yourself. I'll give it to you. You can do it yourself. But one of the things we'll walk around during the day or just out of the blue, and I'll just walk around, and we'll walk through the building, and we'll say, what do you see? Just what do you see? And there's all kinds of observations. I see blue chairs. Like, it's a trick question. It's not a trick question. Uh, it's uh, blue chairs. Okay, great. You see chairs, and you see, and, and then I'll start noticing, well, there's a light flickering. Oh, I didn't see that. And, and there's a big chocolate stain on the, car, on, the, on the carpet that doesn't look so much like chocolate. We probably want to take care of that. There's dust all over the place. There's, you know, and, and one of the things I'll do during service, after a service, is, is I'm training someone. I'll have them up here with me, and, and I'll just say, while I'm talking to somebody, I'll say, just look around the room. What do you see? You know, after a service, people, some people go, some people stay. Some people stay longer, some people talk, some people cry, some people are down praying, some people, sometimes marriages, you know, you're, you don't wait for the car to argue, you're arguing right here. And that, I mean, I, that's, that's the life, that's life, you know, but do you see it? Because what you see is what you act on. If you walk through here, you don't see anything. And there's not going to be a lot of minutes. The Holy Spirit's not going to bring anything to your attention because you're not observant. You're not paying attention. And Solomon here has a reputation. It's connected to the name of God. And when the Queen of Sheba comes, she sees it. She trusts him. We, rep we represent the Lord and his kingdom. We should be faithful with what we have in order to speak to the eyes, not just to the ears of those seeking God. That's been the pattern of our fellowship from the very beginning. When we were, when we were renting a basement right down the street on Hampton, we wanted it to be the best looking basement that we possibly could be. Now, there were some things we didn't control, but then we needed to have that credibility in someone that if something happened and we couldn't control, that they would still trust us like, like the time we had our welcome gathering for new people, and there were two families that showed up over here on, right down the street. Two families that showed up, and actually it wasn't down the street. It was at the, uh, at the Episcopal Church over on Wagon Trail in Buckley, where they let us use that little shack. When you're driving down there, you'll look to the left or look to the right. It's right on the corner. There's a shack there. We used to use that for Thursday night Bible studies. They rented that to us. And so downstairs was a little kitchen down there with a lot of bags of rice, uh, under the cupboards. And we had a little table down there and we had a gathering. We're telling people about Jesus. This is, man, God's using our church. I can't believe it. Two new families have come. This is awesome. We're so excited. And as we're, as we're having this exciting time and answering question, a little mouse came out and said hello to us all, and then ran back in. And we're like, oh man, two less families coming to the church. 
<laughs> you know, there's things that we don't control. And I think we had enough credibility with them. I know we did because they stuck around. Uh, enough credibility with them that they recognized, you know, there's some things out of our control. But when the things that are under our control, we just neglect them. We're sending the message that we're going to neglect their family too that we're not going to be observant in their family as well, that we're not going to pay attention to them, that we're not going to be open to the Holy Spirit to pick up on things that no one else is picking up on, that they might come hurt or burdened from another fellowship that has neglected them, and they come into another church, and we already got all these things against us. We're already a big church, so already people think these things about big churches, like, oh, I'll never know anybody. They'll never know me. And we always got all these negative things of, of labels and stuff, but what we, we need to help people get by that and say, no, 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 we're just a group of broken people that give us some time and you will find out that, that you will be loved by the people here. It's not about the size of your church. You could be neglected in a church of 40 people as much as 4,000. It doesn't matter. It's the heart of the matter. It's people. And this is a section I often go back to. Like Solomon wasn't doing everything he was doing to impress the queen of Sheba. He wasn't doing all this and then sending out a a tweet or sending out, you know, a a press packet. Hey, everybody, I just want you to know, I'm Solomon, the wisest man of God. Come test me. That's what he was doing. He was being faithful unto the Lord. The reputation got out. The people came. Queen of Sheba came, and she was, you know, that phrase, there was no more spirit in her. You could say she was blown away by what she saw. It was more than what she heard. Jot this down. I won't have you turn there, but jot this down. In 1 Samuel, we we studied this not too long ago in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I've refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees, because man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Have you ever quoted that verse to somebody? Or to yourself, like somebody uh, lops some judgment on you and you go, man, you don't know my heart. God knows my heart. Anybody ever say that? So you can't judge me outwardly. Is there anyone here that has ever had that attitude? Yes or no? Okay, because it doesn't sound like there's anybody here or like it's just me. So if you don't know my heart, and, and we emphasize that part of the verse, and it's true. God knows your heart. You'll be misunderstood and misjudged. It's true. But don't allow that truth to, don't allow that truth to, to cause you to neglect the other part of this verse. The other part of this verse is man looks at the outward appearance. That is equally true. You realize that for some, most people, all they know about you is what they see. That's all they know. And I recognize that we can be misjudged, and I recognize that we can be misunderstood, but that's all they know. They haven't developed a relationship with you. They haven't talked to you yet, and that's all they know. They only know what they see. While the emphasis is often given considering the mistake that Samuel makes, that God knows the heart, that's true. But man looks at our outward appearance. And it's important for us to be reminded that people... Whether you're here at this church or you attend another church, people only see the outside. That's all man can do is see the outside. Watching our lives, which would lead for us to, to really take heart to when the Bible speaks of being a good example. 
being a good example. The Bible speaks a lot about our example. And sometimes when we emphasize this element of example, you know, people will turn around and go, oh, you're just being legalistic, man. You're just being legalistic. You know, that's a, often a cop-out for the reality of being called on a behavior that doesn't really reflect the love of God. So you're just being legalistic. Well, I'm not, man, I'm not God, so you just take that to the Lord. But I'm telling you what I see, brother. I'm telling you what I see. If I'm wrong, then the Lord will correct me. But if I'm right, and I'm kind of thinking I'm right by you being so mad at me, um, you might want to take it to the Lord. So you can use your liberties and your freedoms to bring glory and honor to the Lord. Our outward matters, and it will either lead someone closer to Jesus or farther away because of our witness and our words. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, in verse 9, it says, Not because we don't have authority, Paul's telling them, but to make ourselves an example on how you should follow us. Make ourselves an example. It's, it's, Paul was saying, we want to be an example you can follow. We want, for those asking, what, it, what does it mean to be a, a follower of Christ? What does it mean to be a leader? What does it mean to be a pastor? What does it mean to be a Sunday school teacher? What does it mean to, to live your life in a hostile world? Paul says, we're going to make ourselves an example. Follow us. In another place, Paul would say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So like no human's a perfect example. None of us are. I would never ask you, follow me. You'll be the perfect Christian. You won't. You'll be a, 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 a person following a man. But the Lord says, don't do that. However, I can't say this. I want God to make me an example so you and I can learn how to follow Jesus. And that there isn't anything in my life that I know of that God hasn't revealed yet that you can say, yeah, follow me as an example. And if I make a mistake, don't follow that. <laughs> learn from my example, right? You can learn. It doesn't, you don't always have to learn from your own mistakes. You can learn from someone else's mistakes. And so you go, Ed, you know, you did that. I know, don't do it. Don't do it. That was bad. I'm so sorry. And that example, I was a bad example. Please forgive me. But Paul's saying, make, my, make us, we want to make ourselves an example so you can follow us. Or in 1 Peter, Peter says this in 1 Peter 2, 21. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example. Jesus, of course, is the perfect example that we should follow in his steps. I think of Paul writing to the Philippians. In Philippians chapter 2, he said, Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider a robbery to be equal with God, but emptying himself, took on the form of a man, became a servant example. Titus chapter 2 verse 6. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded in all things. This is Paul writing to Titus. In all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works. In doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, and incorruptibility. This is a key passage of someone hearing and then seeing. We've been looking at the Old Testament book of 1 Kings here on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. And if you missed any portion, you can simply go online to calvaryaurora.org or request the CD for just $2 by calling 877-30-GRACE. Again, that's 877-304-7223. 
Another convenient way to get these daily studies is by signing up to receive the free Abounding Grace podcast. Load the messages onto your mobile device and listen at the gym, in the car, wherever you go. Just go to calvaryaurora.org or look for Abounding Grace Radio in iTunes. Maybe you've noticed God has always been interested in turning unlikely people into a faithful follower, from prostitutes to tax collectors and even normal everyday fishermen. In the book, Jesus Revolution, Pastor Greg Laurie and Ellen Vaughn recall a time when there was a great spiritual awakening. God transformed an unlikely generation. And Pastor Greg and Ellen believe God can do it again. We'd like to send you a copy of Jesus Revolution for your gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace today. Call 877-30-GRACE or make a secure donation online at calvaryaurora.org. If you'd rather write, our address is Abounding Grace, 18900 East Hamden Avenue, Aurora, Colorado, 80013. We'll return to First Kings next time on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We'll see you then. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Chapel Aurora.